Good tidings, everyone. This is Michael Gobier from the Hey! It's Enrico Palazzo Fantasy Baseball Podcast, and you're listening to Pop Goes Your World. If you haven't already, subscribe on iTunes. And while you're there, please leave us a rating and review. And now it's time for our feature presentation. I'm Chris McBrien, and the pop culture from Generation X is everything to me. And I'm Derek Myers, and I'm here to educate Chris on the great pop culture of today's generation. Episode 277, 2023, the year in pop culture. Chris McBrien, along with Derek Myers, and this is Pop Goes Your World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. It's our first show of season nine. We got lots in store for you this season. We got upcoming guests, some old friends joining us again, our usual movie reviews and trivia and dad jokes, all that stuff. You know, all those things you've come to expect from us around here. But before we get into the new year, we're going to start with a look back on the year that was 2023 in pop culture. Um, now, you, you know, we always start every show by doing a quick review of anything we've been able to take in in regard to pop culture since our last show. Since we took time off over the holidays, we've uh, no doubt got lots of stuff to talk about, I'm sure. Maybe even a book or two, you know, in addition to movies and TV shows. Who knows? But Derek, welcome back from holidays, my friend. Thank you, Chris. I hope your uh, holidays were great. You had a safe and happy uh, Christmas and uh, happy new year in your house, I assume. Yeah, I did. Uh, how about you? Before we get into our pop culture, did you get any nice gifts for Christmas? Was Santa good to you? Yes, Santa is uh, always good to me. Good. Um, you know, I, I, I'm spoiled by the people that love me, and uh, clearly Santa is one of them. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, got a lot of nice stuff. Uh, got some. Got to spend some time with uh, friends and family, some folks that I, I don't get to see that often. Uh, one of the great things about the holiday season is most people – uh, at least most of my friends are off work or even those who are in school or off school. So with everybody uh, has a little free time on their hands, it, it makes it a lot easier to try and get together, even if it's just for, you know, a coffee or a beer or a quick uh, FaceTime or Skype chat or something. So, uh, yeah, it's always always a good time of year to catch up with some folks. I know I reached out to a few people I hadn't heard from in a while and I had a few people reach out to me that I hadn't heard from in a long time. So it's it's always a good time to reconnect. So if you if you listen to the podcast and, uh, you know, you got a few minutes on your hands, I would suggest uh, go through your contact list. Find someone that you haven't heard from in a while and uh, just reach out of the blue and say, hi, how's it doing? How's it going? How's your uh, new year? And you'd be surprised. Uh, you know, I was pleasantly surprised that, uh, you know, as I was reaching out to some of these folks, they got back to me pretty quickly and uh, we were able to just catch up a little bit. It was nice. Oh, that's a nice sentiment. I'm, I'm more about the materialistic aspect of Christmas. I'm just kidding. But I did get a lot of good stuff. So I want to mention I got tickets to see Jerry Seinfeld in May. Nice. That's cool. And I also got tickets in July to go see Def Leppard, Journey, and the Steve Miller Band all in one go. Very nice. <laughs> That's going to be good. Nice. I also got some nice binders for my Star Wars collection and socks. I got lots of socks. Oh, you know what else I got too? I totally forgot. I got a, I got a new ride symbol. My wife bought me a new ride symbol. Actually, you want to hear it? I'm here in the studio. You want me to, you want me to just show you what it sounds like? It's really, really even, cool. I don't even know what that... Oh, like a symbol like yeah, a drum like kit? Yeah, like on my drum kit. My drum kit's oh, just over well, here in the corner. Like I got a, a new... I'm thinking, I'm thinking like uh, like a logo symbol. I'm no. like, a symbol? What the hell do you need a yeah, symbol right. for? Here, Superhero? Just gonna, I'm just going to take my cans off here for a second. I'm just going to sure. go over if you're cool with that. Okay? Hold on. 
little bit winded. Had a little bit too much eggnog over the holidays, I think. I don't know. Uh, oh my it God. might have been the rum in the eggnog. Don't yeah, that's yourself. true. That's true. You know, we do that. But any pop culture you were able to take in over the holidays? Oh, my God, so much. But actually, oh, okay. let me go back to your original question because mm. I sort of dodged a question unintentionally. So as far as the material things, one of the mm. things that I got for Christmas that I think uh, you would definitely get a kick out of, and, and I think a lot of our listeners would get a kick out of, is I got this book. I, I've been had my eye on it for quite some time. It's 50 bucks. It's it's a hardcover. It's a coffee table book. And and like, you know, 50 bucks is not nothing. So I've sort of had my eye on it and I've been humming and hawing. And my brother, you know, great guy that he is, went onto my Amazon wish list, saw that it was on there and that it had been on there for a while. And he bought it for it for Christmas. It's called The Art of Atari. And it's this giant, super thick coffee table book. And it's like all about the um the cover art and the interior art of the original atari video games all the art that's on the outside of their consoles from arcades all the art that was on the boxes of the cartridges of the video games all the art that was in the instruction booklets and this this giant coffee table book is just amazing it's so beautiful the color the art is so fantastic and uh yeah i've, I've had my eye on it for a while it's called art of atari and it's like even though I don't I don't have an Atari anymore, but year you know, when I was growing up, like like so many people of our generation, I had an Atari twenty six hundred in my house. And I remember all this stuff. And even though some of the games weren't great, and even though some of the 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 art of the game that was on the screen wasn't great because the technology was so limiting, the box art was always so amazing. And so this this book just blew me away when I saw it. So that was definitely one of my uh one of my most cherished material things that I got. Very cool. That sounds like a good yeah. one. But getting back to the pop culture. So yes. I know we don't want this episode to be five hours long, so no, I won't. We got lots to get to. Detail. Yeah. I, I probably watched 20 or 30 movies. I had a chance to take a little vacation, uh, do some traveling, and and I saw a ton of stuff. So or, you know, I had some time. So I'll just uh, I'll just write down the list. I won't even talk about a lot of them. I just sure. want to acknowledge that I saw them so I don't forget. Um, so one of the ones I want to start with is. Um, I mentioned on the last couple of shows, I've got the Dirty Harry movies on my recorder and I'm oh, working yes. my way through them. So I had a chance to watch the third one called The Enforcer, mm -hmm. uh, which I don't remember ever seeing before. I, I mean, I know I watched all the Dirty Harrys before, but I don't remember it. Uh, it had Tyne Daly. And let me tell you, it's a real movie of its time. It's it's part of the plot is that it's in the 70s and she's uh, like sort of the first female police detective on the San Francisco police force. And like it. Wow. Like it's a real sort of eye opener reminder of just sort of how far we've kind of come in such a short period of time and how how much crap she has to put up with. Her name wasn't Cagney, was it? Or, no, or was but, she Lacey? But, I can't remember. No, I don't remember. But yeah. based on this, I think obviously that that's what set right. her up for uh, for Cagney and Lacey. But anyway, it was good. It was what it was. I'm, I got two more Dirty Harrys to go. I didn't have a chance to get through them, but I did see another Clint Eastwood one called In the Line of Fire. Uh, it was from the early 90s and it has uh, John Malkovich and uh, Rene Russo's in it. And and I remember seeing this in the theater uh, in the early 90s and that was it. And then it showed up again on one of my channels. I watched it and I'm like, it was OK. It wasn't fantastic, but it was better than I remembered it. So, it, again, sort of a lot of Clint Eastwood going on. Um, and then again, a couple of older ones that, that's well, I mean, older and that they're, you know, not super new, but had a chance to watch uh, on, literally uh, on New Year's Eve. We watched Trading Places. Oh, yes. Eddie Murphy and uh, Dan Aykroyd. <laughs> yeah. And we're like, oh, because we were like, hey, look, this is 1983. Oh, that's great. Yeah. This is a Christmas and a New Year's movie. So yes. I was like, 
Nice. So we had a chance to rewatch that. And then a movie I just watched this week that I had never ever seen before, sticking with the trading places, is mm-hmm. Kentucky Fried Movie. Oh, nice. Have oh, you ever seen yes. it? I have. Of course I have. Came out of the Kentucky Fried Theater back in the 70s. John Landis. Um, yeah. One of my favorite parts, and it was the Catholic high school girls in trouble. I oh, my remember God, that yes. One. It's, yeah. like, it's practically an ad for a porno movie. Oh, yeah. But uh, for those who are not familiar, it's basically... Think of like um, almost like a Saturday Night Live type episode where it's like a bunch. It's a movie that's a bunch of like sketches almost, but Mm -hmm. they're they're not. It's not improv like well, I mean, it might have been, but it's it's clearly it's like fake movie trailers and Mm -hmm. then little little short films and TV ads and stuff. It's bizarre. Uh, Zucker Abrams and Zucker were involved. Yeah, yeah. So it had been on my watch list of, you know, if I see this one coming around, I'm going to watch it. It was on, of all channels, Turner Classic Movies a couple of weeks ago. So I recorded it. Finally had a chance to watch it. Again, it wasn't amazing, but it was on my bucket list. So I'm Mm -hmm. glad I had a chance to watch it. Um, Had a chance to watch Runaway Jury based on the John Grisham book starring John Cusack. Mm -hmm. Again, saw it in the theater. Didn't really remember it very well. Uh, I for, totally forgot who the cat it's Gene Hackman and uh, Dustin Hoffman as the two lawyers. This movie is way better than I remembered it being. I really enjoyed it. So if you have a chance, Runaway Jury was pretty good. Cool. And uh, then I did a couple of uh, George Clooney movies. I watched Syriana and Michael Clayton. And honestly, in my mind, I had those two mixed up. So I'm sitting down to watch Syriana and go, this is one where he's the political fixer, right? This is one he won his Oscar for. Well, it is the one he won his Oscar for, but it's not the one where he's a political fixer. That's Michael Clayton. Syriana, he's uh, he's like a government agent, and it's all about oil, and it's this this long, like long. It's like the movie's almost three hours. I mean, they're both decent movies, but yeah, you can pass on both of those. Unless you're a huge George Clooney fan, I would say pass. Um, and then a couple of brand new ones. Uh, again, just mentioned them. There was a new sci-fi one called The Creator. I think it's on Disney, if I remember correctly. And it stars... Um, um, Denzel Washington's son, uh, his name's escaped me, John, John something Washington. Uh, again, you would hate it, Chris. It's sort of end of the world. The robots have taken over. Oh, the yeah. humans and the robots are fighting. It's in the post-apocalyptic future. I thought it was great. You would hate it. But if you have uh, if you have Disney, you know, give it a look. Uh, another end of, the, end of the world one that was just on um, a couple of weeks ago dropped, I think, on Netflix. It's called Leave the World Behind. It stars Julia Roberts and uh, Mahershal Ali. And uh, it was really good. Again, it's this family that does an Airbnb. They they go out into the country uh, just for the weekend, and then the world comes to an end, and the people they're renting the Airbnb from actually come home because they're like, we got nowhere else to go. The world's ending. And it's it's sort of it's more of a character study than anything else. But it was good. It was really good. I really enjoyed it. Leave the world behind on Netflix. Take a look at that one. Um, and then uh, last, sort of a documentary, not sort of a documentary. So I don't know if you need to play the music or not but there's a series that i've been watching on the history channel called the toys that built america mm-hmm. and the third season's out now and each episode's an hour long and they basically uh, they give you a, a reenactment of these people who created games and toys and things of that nature hence the toys that built america and i watched a really good episode a couple weeks ago and it was about the guys who created trivial pursuit and the guys who invented pictionary and nice. I, I know the Trivial Pursuit guys were actually Canadian. Or they, they were Canadian. They were, yep. They were in Montreal when they started putting it together. But it was uh, it was fascinating to uh, to to just watch and 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 I knew a little bit about it already. But it, it's just a fascinating story about how Trivial Pursuit came to be and and the kind of numbers and the kind of dollars that that came out of it. It was just bananas. And same with Pictionary. I, that's a game that I'm not a huge fan of, but I know has been very popular over the years. And so. They uh, they sort of inter intercut the two stories together, but it was really good. If you if you have the History Channel, uh, and you're looking for something to watch, this series, the Toys That Built America. Honestly, some episodes are better than others, but the 
last few I've watched have been very strong. So anyway, that's that's about it. Wow. Um, lots and lots and lots. Uh, nothing that was a complete stinker, but nothing that really stood out to me as an A++++. I would say of the, all the things I watched, probably the newer one, Leave the World Behind, was uh, was among the better ones. I mean, Trading Places is an A+, but oh, yeah, uh, I think by now people listening to this podcast have probably seen that one a few times. And then there's there's a couple brand new ones, but I'm sure we'll get to that when we do our two, 2023 movie review. So I'll talk a little bit more about a couple sure. of those when we get there. Mine was kind of a stinker. Over the, the break there, I mean, we were sitting around one night, and my wife says she's like i want to watch a movie as a family you know like her and i and the two boys so she goes on disney plus and she picks out an old movie from like 94 i think it was it was called the big green have you ever heard of it before um no i don't i don't think it's the one i'm thinking of the big I, green no i had I, know. I had never even heard of it and for good reason it really sucked so it, it was about this teacher from england who comes to this small town in Texas and she makes the kids play soccer. And then of oh, course, I, yeah, they, I'm looking they, at the cover box. This was a big renter when I was a blockbuster. Oh, no, yeah. I've never seen it. I've never seen it. Yeah. Like this, this team. And then like, they, like they, they, they go to the championship and all that stuff. It's so dumb, right? Predictable. Right. So Steve Gutenberg was in it. He was the town sheriff and Olivia Dabo was the teacher. Now it got me thinking about Olivia Dabo. I want to talk about her a little bit because it brought back some memories for me as I'm watching this movie. So, First of all, you probably remember her best as the hippie older sister on The Wonder Years. I never she, watched The Wonder Years, so yeah. no. That's what I think most people would know her from because sure. she didn't do much else. Although she did appear in one movie that I will never forget. And as I'm watching this movie, I'm like, oh man, I remember her. So here's a little story for you from my youth. Okay. So back when I was 14 years old, me and my best friend snuck into the movie theater to see the R-rated film Bolero with okay. Bo Derek, okay? And Olivia Dabo was in the movie. She was the same age as me at the time. She was 14 years old in this movie and she was really pretty. So I was like immediately smitten by her, you know? And there's this one scene, she's in this bathtub covered in suds, you know? And then she stands up and she does a full frontal nude scene. 14 years old. Wow, that doesn't sound uh, How did John <laughs> Derrick not get arrested for that? Like what the actual hell? It just it's crazy. So there's there's like 14-year-old me like shocked that I'm seeing a girl my age with no clothes on, which is basically a crime. You know, like how did that ever get into a Hollywood movie? I mean, I know the 80s were lax on that, you know, but the it's illegal, you know? So anyway, so you fast forward to Christmas 2023. I'm watching her in some dumb low budget movie about kids in Texas playing soccer. So anyway, my Christmas movie watching experience wasn't all that great. Oh, and Derek, my wife and I broke from our annual Christmas tradition. Every year, her and I watch Die Hard. Well, well, not only do we watch Die Hard, we watch Die Hard and we break out a bottle of Kraken rum and watch Die Hard. Unleash the Kraken! This year, we didn't do it. We didn't watch Die Hard. I was going to say, did you not have any rum? Well, no, it wasn't that. My wife was spent all this time online. She was looking for this like last minute Caribbean holiday she wanted to go on. We never ended up finding one. So I didn't get to go away. I didn't get to watch Die Hard and I got stuck watching the big green. Thank God Santa brought me some socks at least and a ride symbol, you know, so there's always that. So, anyway, I got this. 
Here's your dad joke of the week. Derek, I got a joke for you. Where it's actually like I'm going to tell the joke. I'm not. It's like no punchline kind of thing. All right. Uh, yours don't usually have a good punchline. So this show. <laughs> this won't be much different. Than exactly. Normal. So you're used to it. Okay. Kevin Sorbo, Dean Kane, and Scott Bayo walk into a bar. The bartender says, "You guys are too early for your shift." See, you probably thought I was going to get political there, didn't you? Yeah. No, no, but no, uh, no. I'm, I'm that, turning. That was actually pretty good. Yeah, I'm turning over a new leaf in 2024. I promise. I promise. Really. your head counselor. I did not enjoy this anymore the second time. <laughs> What's going on? What's wrong? I've never seen it. Oh, never wow. interested in seeing it. No desire to see it. Was not interested at all. Oh, I paid $200 for these shoes, but I mean, I'm the best. It's certainly tame by today's standards. There's a very fat pair of pants hanging from the flagpole this morning. It is not something I think I ever need to see again. Oh! Matt Damon. Matt Damon. So, Derek, every year here on the podcast, we kick off our new season with a look back at the year that was in pop culture. You know me. I'm perpetually stuck in 1989. So I usually rely on you to do a lot of the heavy lifting with all the new stuff. But, you know, I think I'd like to start by looking back at some of the movies that came out in 2023. Okay. One thing that kind of got me, I was taking a look at the box office. There used to be a time when making $100 million at the domestic U.S. box office was like a huge thing. That was a milestone. And the thing is, I think overall, like you tend to think like going to see the movies in the theaters, like dying off, you know, but there were 24 movies that took in a hundred million dollars or more last year. 24. Well, I, I, and that, that is definitely an accomplishment, but you got to remember it costs like 20 bucks a head to get in the theater. And if it's an IMAX or a 3d or some special showing VIP, like the per ticket price can be as much as 30 bucks. So yes, that's a huge accomplishment, but I'll bet if you adjust those numbers for inflation, these, these hundred million dollar movies, like they're not, when you compare their movies from even 10 or 15 years ago, they probably are not performing as well as that number would lead you to believe. Yeah. I mean, I, I get inflation and all, but that's a, that's a lot of big money making movies. Like, especially when you think about post COVID and, and sort of, you know, the availability of all these streaming services and some movies go straight to the streamers. And I mean, you can rent movies at home almost immediately after they come out in the theater. So it that's fair. It, it really does seem like going to the movies is still a thing, though, obviously. Do you think? Yes and no. And we've talked about this before, and I don't want to get too bogged down on it in this one. But I think movies theater going movies have become more events it's things like big franchises big adaptations big intellectual properties so you get things like marvel movies you get things like harry potter movie well not anymore but you know what i mean like things like mm-hmm. a harry potter movie um you know or big events like mission impossible they you know which we'll talk about in a minute like th- that's a huge franchise and, and then and you also just get huge stars where it's like, well, when this person puts out a movie, people are going to go to the theater, see it because they have faith that this person knows what they're doing, whether it's a, like Spielberg put out um, a movie last year. And, and I went to the theater to see it just based on Spielberg. And I didn't really care for it. I mean, it wasn't what I was expecting. It was a long, boring drama and it got award accolades and all the rest of that. But I'm like, the Fablemans to me was sort of a not as not his best work. But he had my money as soon as they said coming to theaters, a Steven Spielberg movie. So. So there's definitely still people going to the movies and I I think it's driven. The big numbers are driven by these things I just talked about, but I think the word of mouth helps. So like 
one of the things, you know, the movie that won the Best Picture Oscar just in this past year that actually came out the year before was Everything Everywhere All at Once. When it came out, it didn't immediately do well, but the movie was so good, the quality was so good, the performances were so good, it was such an original concept, the word of mouth got around. People made a point of going to see in the theater once once the buzz got going. And I think there was some of that this summer with some of the, the other movies as well, not not necessarily to that same extent, but I, I think that's sort of where we are now with the, with movies. You have diehards are going to go every week, but... You know, I think both you and I, when we were younger, we were going every week or every couple of weeks. But I think last year I maybe saw f between five and ten movies in the theater. And uh, and that was that was enough. But most of them were those big IP movies I talked about originally. So so the, the, if we take a look at the box office, the number one film last year was Barbie took in $636 million. That's a lot of money. Uh, number two was a Super Mario Brothers movie. Uh, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse was number three, clocking in number four, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, and then number five was Oppenheimer. And then, you know, a whole bunch of other movies here, like Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania, I never even heard of that, John Wick, Chapter 4, Sound of Freedom, made $184 million. Uh, Hunger Games, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. What the hell is that? 159 million. How the hell did that make money? Yeah, it just came out. It's a prequel to the, again, it's a, it's a series that people are already familiar with based on books that people have already read. And they're like, Hey, we know what that is. That's a safe choice. Or they believe that's a safe choice. So they pay the money to go see it. Uh, Five Nights at Freddy's, $137 million. The Flash, 100 I don't know. This is craziness. I So I'm assuming you obviously went to see quite a few films in the theater last year, right? Uh, yeah, like I said, probably more than five and less than 10, if, if I had mm. to guess. And as we go, like, I've got a list of a few movies here that I want to talk about. And I'm just, let me just, how many of these did I see in the theater? One, two, three, four... Five, six, six of the movies on my list I, I saw in the theater. So that's, I, you might be surprised. I actually went to the movies three times last year. I saw three movies in the theater last year, which is pretty impressive, you know, considering you saw six. I saw Super Mario Brothers movie. Now, keep in mind, I got young kids. So yeah. I saw a Super Mario Brothers movie. And then I, my youngest son wanted me to go see Meg to the Trench. So I went and saw that. And I also saw 65 all three of them I didn't like. <laughs> I thought they yeah, were I was all say that crappy. I saw 65 and it was garbage. And I watched the Meg 2 and it was, yeah, not good either. And I Mario also, Brothers just doesn't interest me. I'm sorry. I also watched The Whale last year. Now it just came to mind. I didn't see it in the theater though. Like I watched it on home streaming. Yeah. My wife so made I. me watch it. So that was, a, so I saw four movies from last year. So not bad. Well, I The guess. Whale technically came out the year before because it was oh, okay. for the Oscars. Right? Oh yeah, yeah. right. Uh, speaking of Oscars, uh, they're not going to be announced until January 23rd, but uh, we could do a little bit of speculation. So I, I'd like to start, like, what films do you think might get nominations for Best Picture? Barbie, probably, I guess. Oppenheimer. Well, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse seems to be getting a lot of big buzz, right? Yeah, it's, uh, I, I, I think, so what's happened in the last few years, at least based on my, my experience, is that, yeah, to your point, these big movies, there's always a handful of the big movies that get nominated in part they're big movies because they were good and the performances were good and they're deserving of these nominations and this accolades but what i also find is as is always the case a whole bunch of like i'll call them sort of artsy movies and, and that's that's not a derogatory but i mean like movies that maybe your mainstream audience isn't immediately going to flock to the theater to see but they release them in limited release just before christmas to make them eligible for these big awards but they don't actually 
get the like theatrical release or the buzz and the marketing stuff until like now. So, you know, I, I was reading a thing the other day where they were talking about, oh, these are like even just looking at the Golden Globe nominations, which are already out and like looking down the list going, I don't recognize half of these movies. I never even heard of these movies. And then you look and it's like, oh, this one was released in 10 theaters in Los Angeles and New York to qualify. It's like, well, that's why I never heard of it. It isn't really out yet. So to your point. The ones you just mentioned, I'm sure we'll all get some sort of acknowledgement, but I'm sure there's going to be a dozen others that that are more of the, you know, the artsy fartsy kind of smaller and I say smaller, but they're not because they're it's probably still like I'm thinking like the, the Bradley Cooper one that just dropped where he's the music conductor. Like they're saying that's going to get nominated for best picture, best director, the best performer. Yeah. That's the one. Yeah. yeah. It's like I hear that. and I'm like, well, that sounds like a little artsy fartsy movie, but it probably costs 100 million bucks to make, mm-hmm. um, you know, and so I'm sure there's a bunch like that that I'm just Honestly, I don't know. I haven't heard of them yet, so. You're right. There, there's always those small movies. But, I mean, let's be honest. Oppenheimer is going to win, right? I mean, it's the Academy. They love stuff like that. And it's Christopher Nolan's time, right? You know, like all the politics and everything. They, they Hollywood loves period pieces and, you know, the actual historical figures and stuff. There's no way Barbie is going to win. It's Oppenheimer. That they'll I don't know. Barbie was pretty good. The, the 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 timing of Barbie is really good as well. I think the but the, to win the, an the, Oscar the for best picture. Movie, well, but I think the message of the movie is important too. Like look back on on some of the Oscars over the years, and sometimes you look back after and you go, "How did this movie win over these other ones?" And you and you sort of go, "Well, given where we were in the political climate and what the movie was saying at the time, it was important." Which is not to belittle Barbie that ten years from now, if it does win, you look back and say that wasn't deserving because it was fantastic, and I, I truly believe if it wins, it is absolutely deserving. But, but yeah, to your point, I haven't seen Oppenheimer, but I heard it's like three hours and it's got a cast of like everybody famous you've ever seen in your life. So, it won't surprise me if it wins, but I wouldn't be surprised. Like, there's the, what was the Scorsese one that came out, The Flower Moon, Killers of the Flower Moon with Leonardo DiCaprio. Again, mm-hmm. I haven't seen it. I heard it's really long, but I've heard it's for those people that like Scorsese films. I've heard it's really good. And and Leonardo, Car- Leonardo DiCaprio is amazing in it. I'm like, again, I just I haven't seen it yet. So can't really talk about whether or not I believe it's qualified or mm-hmm. or worthy or not. But, but I mean, like best director, Christopher Nolan's a lock. I think I, that's what I I don't know. I for a nomination. Absolutely. No, no to win. I think he's going to win. I mean, if, if 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 the Oscars do what they always do and they basically give a legacy award, to your mm-hmm. point, this guy's yeah. been nominated a lot of times and has a great body of work. Yeah. And if we acknowledge this and give it to him, you know, the risk of not giving a, a, a person an award when they're truly deserving of it and then giving it to them later, you always end up feel like you're giving it to him for something lesser. Like Scorsese, we were just talking about. Mm-hmm. The Departed was a good movie, but yeah. it wasn't his best Not movie. even Not by a long shot. Yeah, it's like, right. how did he not win for Raging Bull, Goodfellas, even Casino or, you know, it's like, or some of his really early stuff, like Taxi Driver. Like, how does he not win for any of those things? It's like, ah, we'll give it to him for The Departed. It's like, he almost felt like the Academy's like, if we don't give it to him for this, his next movie might not even be this good. And it's like, okay, let's just give it to him. So you're right. Maybe for Nolan. And again, I haven't seen Oppenheimer, so maybe it is his absolute best work. Uh, but they look at his body of work and go, this guy deserves it or deserves an acknowledgement. And if we don't do it now, maybe his work start the quality starts to dip in the future. So who knows? I think best actor, the, the Academy already loves Bradley Cooper. So I think he's a shoe in for the maestro. Right. I, I think he's a strong favorite. Yes. He spent months apparently preparing for this role and they love that kind of crap. So I think he's a shoe in best, yeah. best actress, uh, Margot Robbie. She'll probably get nominated for Barbie, but I don't know if she would win. Again, I don't think it, she'll win. I it's do not, think it's not Oscar bait, you know, I agree. So I think the movie probably has a better chance with Ryan Gosling 
as best supporting actor. I he'll think. definitely get a best supporting, no question. Yeah, I think he'll win that one too. Um, so I want to. One thing I want to mention before we move on is best song, and the reason why I bring this up is my my son mentioned this to me. He said the song "Peaches" from Super Mario Brothers movie will win best song. Is that the one that Jack Black sang? Yes, Jack Black is Bowser, and he sang that's, the song. That's what I've been hearing, too. It was pretty good. So I saw the movie in the theater, like I mentioned, and it was by far the best part of that movie. I was laughing my ass off when that came on. You could tell he's just improvising the whole thing, but it was so good. And the thing was, it became a bit of a pop culture thing for a while there. Like, it was all over the place, so huh, it might happen. Um, okay, so that's movies. Let's talk a little bit about TV shows. So for me... I mean, again, maybe I'm the wrong guy because I'm old and I'm stuck in the past. But for me, TV from 2023 starts and ends with Ted Lasso. That's, yeah. The third and final season of Ted Lasso was perfect. And we, you and I, we did a whole episode on um, on that, on Ted Lasso on episode 259 in June of last year. So it should win the Emmy for best comedy. But I don't well, know if it will. I don't because I was looking at it and both Barry and the Bear, they said, are likely to be nominated as best comedy. And I did like both of those shows. But I don't know about you. I don't consider them to be comedies. Yeah, that and that's that's uh, I, I, so I agree. I think Ted Lasso is definitely going to nominate it. It's his third and final season uh, of this incarnation of the show. Whether or not they come back for a fourth rebranded season, I don't know. But. That's that's not I the cards yet and shouldn't shouldn't be a factor mm -hmm. on the on the acknowledgement of the of season three. But yeah, to your point, uh, Barry is a show that I've watched every episode of. This last season was fantastic. It was uh, again, awesome. I wouldn't, yeah. wouldn't necessarily call it a comedy. No. Uh, the Bear is is one of those shows we've talked about before. I, I just personally haven't been able to get into it, but everybody who watches it swears it's the best thing on TV. So I think it's going to be a three way race between those three. And maybe there's some dark horse comedy out there that we just neither of us watch that'll be in, in the running. But uh, I, I'm sure it'll come down to one of those three. And um, yeah, I mean, the two of those three that I watched, I thought were fantastic. So no disappointment from me if Barry wins or if Ted Lasso wins. Well, because I actually watch those two, I can actually speak to them. So this is something new for me. So Barry, I actually really liked that show. Yeah, so um, I. I actually thought it was quite good how they wrapped it up. I remember while we were, I, I was watching the last episode and I'm thinking, where is this going? Like, yeah, how can they wrap this up? But they did. And I don't want to give away any spoilers, you know, in case anyone hasn't watched it. But, you know, it, it's safe to say it was a given that I was going to like this show because my idol Henry Winkler is on it. Mm -hmm. um, I love when he plays against type. Like, yeah. he was so good in Night Shift when he played against type. Remember, he was the opposite yep. of the Fonz. And, and in Barry, he plays against type because he's the sleazeball, which is the opposite of himself in real life. He is one of the nicest people I have ever met in my entire life. That Henry Winkler is a real deal. Um, and then the bear, my wife made me watch. And I didn't really get into it. She was watching the first season. It was just kind of okay for me. And then she stayed at it. And, and then I picked it up in season two and watched it with her. It was pretty good. You know, I thought the second season had some pretty good moments in it. I really liked there was one episode where they do this Thanksgiving in their house and it's like a flashback and Jamie Lee Curtis plays the mom. She was outstanding in that role. Like, man, that's actually that's two for her recently because she was good in everything everywhere all at once. 
Mm-hmm. And now I, I would even say she was better in the bear. And um, oh, what's his name? John Bernthal. He was he was he was Shane in The Walking Dead. He plays the brother in The Bear, and he's got this mustache. He looks just like Fred Ward in Remo Williams' The Adventure. Begins. I thought that too. Yeah, I remember yeah. that. Yeah, I, I was thinking the same thing. Oh when I saw man, it. I, I always relate everything back to to Gen X pop culture. But uh, so, but again, both those shows are not comedies to me. Like The Bear is not even close. Barry has some dark humor in it and stuff like that from time to time, but. These are not comedies, I don't think. So, it's kind of yeah, weird. it's 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 really loosey goosey how they how they um, define these shows or allow the people who make these shows to define whether or not they feel it's a comedy. Yeah, it, it would be nice to have some more definitive guidelines, but whatever it is, what it is, I, I, you know, I'm not going to overthink it. Well, there was another one my, that my wife made me watch. Um, you know, because I make her watch all these old shows. You know, she makes me watch new stuff and she made me watch The Diplomat with Carrie Russell. And funny enough, I didn't I didn't really love it. And, and you know me, Derek, I, I love politics. Like when mm-hmm. I studied political science in my undergrad, I was so much into international relations and diplomacy. You'd think I would just love this show. I, I didn't really like it that much. I, I thought that was just OK. No, I haven't I haven't seen it, but I did read something on it. And what mm-hmm. I was reading was it's more of a soap opera than anything else. It's all about like love triangles and who's mm-hmm. sleeping with who. And I thought, well, then I'm not interested. So that's part of the reason I haven't watched it. Now, is that sort of a fair assessment of what the show like? Obviously, no, more, I would say more than that. No, I would say the majority, like 80 percent of the show is focused on diplomatic issues. And some of them are and, and like I like I say, I like this stuff. I found it hard to keep up with at times. It's, it's, it, you know, it's really complicated and stuff. And like maybe 20% is about the, you know, the love triangle stuff and things like that. But I still, I don't know. I just didn't dig. One thing I really did like about it though, was Carrie Russell. Yeah, she's great. So, you know, I, I always harp about these celebrities that get all this plastic surgery, you know, like Madonna and Courtney Cox. It was really refreshing to see Carrie Russell just allow herself to just age. You know, I mean, it helps that she's already beautiful. I was going to say, she still looks like <laughs> you know, a million yeah. bucks. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. So, but I mean, I mean, you know, so were some of those other celebrities, you know, they were good looking, but then they went under the knife and they look unrecognizable. But I thought Carrie Russell, when I'm watching this show, she looks her age and, and she doesn't wear very much makeup at all, which, you know, I, I, so I thought that was good. And the other thing is like, she's really got good acting chops. I, I never watched, um, what was that show? Felicity? The, the Americans. Oh, the Felicity. Yeah. yeah no, back. I never, I never watched that. So I didn't know anything about her. I, I didn't know her at work at all, but man, she is a really good actress. So even though I didn't like the show itself, I thought her performance was really, really good. She deserves an Emmy for that. I don't know if she'll get nominated or not, but she deserves it. So fair enough. Um, let me jump in with a few mm-hmm. TV shows that sure. I watched that, that I liked that were, uh, that were recognized or that are, you know, got a lot of accolades basically in prep for this, for this, um, show, I did a lot of searches like what are, what are people's favorite, you know, top 10 shows, top 20 shows, top 10 streaming shows, top 10 network, you know, cause I didn't want to overlook something obvious. And there's a lot of stuff that doesn't make most people's list that I'm not going to go into. Like, you know, me, as I watch them, I talk about them on our, on our recaps at the beginning, but the ones that stood out that were getting a lot of uh, accolades over and above the ones that you already talked about. Um, this new season of Fargo uh, on FX um, with uh, Juno Temple from Ted Lasso, who we've, we were just talking about, and John Hamm. They're the two primary performers in it. It's fantastic. I think there's only one more episode to go. 
So technically it started in 2023 and has, has straddled into 2024. So that one's a little bit of a cheat. Um, I told you earlier, uh, a while back, I watched the miniseries, the fall of the house of usher, which I really enjoyed on Netflix. Um, the, um, the show on Amazon, The Boys, there was a spinoff this summer called Gen V uh, about kids at a school for kids with superpowers. It was quite good. If you watch The Boys and enjoyed The Boys, this is more of the same and uh, was quite good, really strong. Um, I had an Apple TV subscription at the start of the year, and one of the shows that was on that, that I didn't get to finish, but I saw most of the episodes called Silo. It's, again, a post-apocalyptic, which I know you would hate, but it was really good, really strong. I really enjoyed it. Uh, and the second season is about to come out pretty soon, so I may have to renew my Apple TV. Uh, and then sort of the two big uh, critically acclaimed shows that I think everyone's going to be talking about come award season here is, um, again, another post-apocalyptic, The Last of Us with uh, Pedro Pascal and uh, Succession, which also was another show that had its last season. So on the same night on HBO, there was the last episode of Succession and the last episode of Barry. Like talk about your must-see TV. Mm -hmm. uh, Succession has been acknowledged as as sort of the leader in uh, scripted uh, dramas the last couple of years. It's won all the awards. P pretty much everybody in the cast has been nominated up and down. I, I don't expect that to be any different this year. I think it'll it'll go out on a on a huge positive note. I think everybody associated with the show is going to get, uh, you know, acknowledgement for that. But Last of Us, really strong. Uh, there is obviously continue going to be continued seasons of it. But this first season right out of the gate, very, very strong, a good sort of replacement show for people that started watching the walking dead and either gave up on it, or I think this was the last season for the walking dead. So if you were looking for something that's sort of in that similar kind of vein, this was a good, uh, a good, uh, replacement. Um, so yeah, those, uh, those were sort of my highlights from TV with, uh, succession and last of us being sort of the top of the pile. And if you, if you aren't watching those two shows, if you didn't want, I mean, succession's over. If you didn't watch succession, you may want to go back and take a look. Uh, Last of Us was just super strong. Uh, over the holiday break, they did a, a like a, a marathon of all the episodes. I think there's ten episodes, and one of the early episodes, I think it's the third episode, is a story, a love story between two of the male characters and how they met and how they fell in love. It's basically their whole life in a flashback, and it's got very little to do with the main story, but it just reminds you of how other people uh, handled the end of the world and. It is honestly the best scripted television program I watched all last year. I watched it again over Christmas when it was on, and it just tugs at your heartstrings in all the right ways. Uh, it's so good. Um, so if you're not watching The Last of Us, give it a, give it a go. So I started watching that show with my wife, and I, I just couldn't get into it, so we gave it up. But I made it as far as that episode. That's the guy with, I mean, isn't he from like Parks and Recreation or yeah. something like that? Yeah. And he's like a, normally a comedic actor or something. Usually, yeah. I'm yeah. trying to think of his name and it escapes me. And that episode his wife is, uh, yeah. That episode was fantastic. So I agree good. with you. It was so yeah. good. I was like, holy crap. That was really good. But the rest of the, the, the show I didn't like. I just didn't dig it. Um, and yeah, you mentioned The Walking Dead too. I forgot about that. That ended last year. My wife and I watched it. I didn't, I didn't really enjoy the end of that either. I thought it was kind of bad. Um, well, I gave up on The Walking Dead years ago, but my wife watched every single episode mm -hmm. and, uh, she was happy with the way it ended. I think there's one last spinoff that's still ongoing. But again, I gave up on it so long ago. I honestly don't care anymore. I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about music. So needless to say, I don't really keep up on, you know, new things. Um, but one thing I mentioned on a previous episode uh, last season that the Bare Naked Ladies came out with a new album uh, last year in 2023. It was called In Flight. So, Derek, I have a question. What would you say is the Bare Naked Ladies best song? 
if you, if you had to. Well, I mean, if I had a million dollars, it's clear their signature yeah. song, whether or not you consider it their best. Um, it definitely would make my top five of their, my the favorite one. songs by them. But it's yeah. I think it's got to be them. that's their I, signature song. I think if you asked 100 people what their favorite Bare Naked Ladies or, song was. 99 the, would say if I had a million dollars. Or the theme song from The Big Bang Theory. Yeah, that one's pretty popular too. Like I think too. a lot of people, maybe that was their introduction to the, to the Bare Naked Ladies. And as far as I know, they do perform that song live in most of their concerts. Yeah, yeah. They did when I, when I saw them last year. So I did want to mention, I'm in the minority because, you know, uh, you know, I like only old stuff, as you know. So this is kind of weird. But my all-time fa- favorite Bare Naked Ladies song isn't If I Had a Million Dollars. It's Love and Life. It's from In Flight from 2023. I love this song. I, I, I play it in the car for my kids all the time. They love it. I played it for my students in class. They loved it. I love, love, love this song. So I actually like something from last year. So it's pretty cool. There you go. Um, also music. I want to talk a little bit about Taylor Swift. So here's the thing. I could not name a single one of her songs. But I don't think you could mention 2023 in music and not talk about Taylor Swift. Her tour in North America, it was only like 60 performances. It took in over a billion dollars in revenue. Yeah, I read it, it, it brought in like more money than the GDP of like half the countries in the world or something. Yeah, I, like I read all these weird stat- statistics based on how successful the show was. And it's yeah, it's it's just crazy bananas. And she had a theatrical release of her tour as a movie. Yeah. And it made over $175 million at the box office. And then it went to the streamers and it continued to generate money there. So, and, and the thing was, as the year went on, Taylor Swift's popularity just, and her revenue generation for that matter, just kept growing and growing. But the thing is, not everyone loved Taylor Swift. So Derek, you know how I've always have to go with my racist uncles? At family gatherings. Oh yeah, know? sure. They hate Taylor Swift. So I was at Christmas. Really? She oh. started off as a country singer. How do the racists not like her? I know. So so I'm at I'm at Christmas with them and I come right out and I go, I asked one of the, the most racist of the uncles. I said, Why do you hate Taylor Swift? Because I'm curious to know this, right? I want to know. And he goes, I hate her because she dates guys and then after they break up, she writes songs about them. And I'm like, that's it? So she basically does what every single solitary male singer has done since the beginning of time? <laughs> and he's like, oh, what do you know? He calls me a libtard. <laughs> I, tell you, just, I think this idea of this young, successful, super rich female is like a threat to some people. Oh, my God. Totally. Like, I don't think it has anything to do with her dating guys and writing songs. I think it's she's using her fame and her power to try and convince people to get out and vote. And that scares them. And you I know, think there's a certain amount of jealousy, too. It's like, hey, you know, how come yeah. this, this person can do this? And, you know, people are just, you know. Like I, I say, she, she's been very vocal this year. Like, you know, everyone should go out and vote. Young people should go vote. And, and the thing is, when old, only old people vote, we all know how that ends up. And when yeah. young people get motivated, motivated to vote, old white people get scared. Actually, I rephrase old white conservative men get scared. So did I say at the top of the show I wasn't getting political? Sorry. I, 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 sorry. But the thing is, it's like, you know, they don't hate Taylor Swift because she writes songs about breakups. Give me a friggin break. Like, don't, don't in my ear and tell me it's raining. They hate Taylor Swift 
because she represents a shifting of the balance of power. And, and I say all the power to her. I mean, she's successful. She's talented. She's rich. She's influential. I, you know what I say? I say, you go, girl. Do people yep. still say that? They used to I say that know. back in the 80s. Probably not. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, so there was, in addition to music and movies and, and TV shows, there's a lot of things that happened last year. One thing that stood out to me was the writer's strike. So, yeah. you know, after COVID and the pandemic, studios started to cut back, you know, on their workforce. And that includes writers, unfortunately. But the thing is, like, studios saw a shift in, in their revenue model. Like, they were starting to see all this money coming in from, like, streaming. And there was no, like, residual structure in place for the writers. And the writers just wanted to ensure that they were getting paid for their work. And I think another big issue was, was AI. And writers obviously want to avoid any situations with studios where they might get replaced with AI-generated content. Now, there was other you know reasons for the strike, but I think those were some of the big ones. So the Writers Guild went on strike in May last year, and then they stayed on the picket line until September. A lot of actors backed them up. I remember Maya Bialik, she left during the last week of Jeopardy's shooting schedule to support the writers. Funny enough, Derica, she was dropped soon after that as co-host. Freaking studios, eh? <laughs> I tell you. Um, not all uh, talent were backing the writers. I remember uh, Bill Maher. Uh, he went ahead with his show. Bill Maher sucks anyway, though. Anyway, they finally came to an agreement in October. But I mean, it was a big deal. Like That would like dominated the headlines last year. And it really affected pop culture too, right? Yeah, well, I mean, obviously, maybe not so much in the short term, but I think what we're going to find is into 2024, you, you, there's less material, like there's less movies, there's less TV because there was like the, the from the way I understand it, a lot of the shooting schedule, things are done. You know, you, you shoot the movie ahead of, of its release. Obviously you got to, but so like things that would have been shot in the fall that would have been scheduled to come out in the spring or in the summer didn't, they didn't get done. So a lot of that shooting, a lot of that prep that would have been done now is only just starting up. So I think this summer we're going to have way fewer movies. We're going to have way fewer scripted programmings on, on TV. And I think we're going to start to, you know, it's, it's, yeah, they were on strike last year, but we're going to really feel the pinch this year. Now in, in expectation that this was probably going to happen, I know that some of the, the bigger networks and the, the streaming services held back on programming that was already available. So for example, HBO had, the fourth season of their show, True Detective, which I believe was supposed to start the first week of September uh, as part of their kickoff to the fall lineup. And then in light of the strike, they opted to hold it. And it's not it's not starting now until next week because they knew they were going to have a pretty sparse 2024. So they're like, well, this one's got Jodie Foster. We've already generated some buzz. It's already getting good reviews for people who have seen the first episode. Let's wait. So I think that's what we're going to see is some of these these bigger networks uh, you know, they're really going to try and space out the things that they expect to be big hits and fans are going to have to wait a little longer, a little longer, a little longer for things that, um, that are already done. And even for those things that haven't even started yet. So, so anything else happened last year in pop culture that you think we should uh, touch base on? Well, I, again, just to acknowledge a few things, you touched on a few of them. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, the whole, the, the whole thing about the Barbenheimer with Barbie and Oppenheimer dropping within a week or two of each other. And that's why they melded everything office. together. Like yeah. people were saying that. 
Yeah, and that was that was great marketing. Uh, it got everybody into the theaters, uh, whether you went and saw one or both movies. Um, we got biographies from famous people like Britney Sorry, Spears. I just went back up a second. Yep. So were they like from the same movie studio? And so they they did the marketing like that? Or were they from different movie studios and they just kind of merged their marketing? Because it's very creative to do something like that. Yeah, honestly, I, I don't know. I'd have to look it up. That, but that was kind of cool. Yeah, because that was a real idea. thing, you know. I think the idea is, you know, uh, uh, a tide, all, all ships are raised. What, how's that saying go? All, uh, high tide raises all ships or something yeah. like that. So it's even if they were from different studios, generating that competitiveness mm-hmm. or that 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 uh, conflict between the two encourages people to go to the theater. Whether you're seeing one or both, people going to the theater helps all movies. Right. If you're going to go see one and it's sold out, well, then I might as well see the other one. And as you know, as we've talked about before, movies like anything else are all about dollars and cents, and theaters make more money off concessions. So they want people through the door and the bums in the seats. They don't care what you're watching. They want you mm-hmm. to show up because they know most people want something to eat and something to drink while they're there, and that's where they're really generating the revenue. And if they're not generating that revenue, theaters start to close, and that creates all sorts other problems so um in any case um yeah so i was mentioning a couple of uh, big biographies that came out this year britney spears wrote a biography and prince harry wrote a biography so i mean there were obviously many other ones but those were sort of two of the big pop culture ones that generated a lot of buzz personally i'm not interested in reading either one but i know people who have and they enjoyed them and that's great if that's your thing um we talked about the strike we talked about taylor swift we talked about uh ai uh I don't want to get too into it, but the whole idea that um, uh, with Elon Musk buying Twitter and changing it to X and basically killing the platform. So I'm sure that will come back to bite us all in the butt here in the next little bit. I know personally, I wasn't really on Twitter that much, but in light of all this, I have not been on Twitter since any of this happened. So I think there's a lot of people that are out there sort of the same for me. When I did my first podcast, when I did the, the dear Mr. Fantasy baseball podcast, I basically grew an an entire community on Twitter Yeah, for that podcast. Like, I mean, you know, I had thousands and thousands of followers and like like, nobody even followers were connections. Like it was Mm -hmm. great. I thought Twitter was amazing. I thought Twitter was, was, it was a tool that you could use just to connect with people over the world. I met Yancey Eaton on Twitter Mm -hmm. originally, and that's how we got connected and, and we got everything started with the podcast and everything here. But yeah, once Elon Musk took over and then the floodgates opened for all this hate speech and everything went on, I deleted my account. I'm not on it anymore. And it's unfortunate because it was great, you know, for a while there. Well, and, and for me, it's like, okay, well, I, I've i been active on Facebook, not so much lately, but with Facebook, you have to actually invite, acknowledge, and accept the people that follow you. So if it's hard to make a connection with a stranger that you, you aren't actively trying to reach out to, whereas Twitter, literally anyone in the world can reach out to you and you can say, okay, I'm going to accept you or not, or you can request that they follow you. Like it, it doesn't, that was the beauty of that platform is literally it could connect anybody with anybody. Um, as opposed to something like Facebook, which needs those privacy shields because of the mm-hmm. kind of things you generally will post. Um, but it's like, for me, I'm not on Instagram. So it's like, well, I don't really have that kind of a social media presence now where I can just reach out to anyone in the world or anyone in the world can reach out to me. And, and so I, I have felt that, um, it's sort of a little closed off, but at the same time, it's kind of been a little bit of a sigh of relief, not having to like, you know, I don't check my socials cause I don't really have socials anymore. I stopped going on a Facebook and I stopped going on Twitter and it's like, okay, I have a few things I follow, but nothing like that. So I think, I think that'll represent a change. I think there's there's a gap in social media in that sense that's that will eventually be be filled by something. Yeah, uh, it whether, seems like it's being th- filled by threads. 
you know, for well, the most part. Yeah, so. but I mean, you've still got Instagram and TikTok, but I mean, those mm. aren't used in the same way that Twitter was used for. Yes, I know people would post pictures mm. on Twitter that would be picked up on their Insta feed or, or vice versa. But again, just as someone who works in communication, there are different tools that can be used for different things. There's not to say that you can't use all the tools for certain things you know, in varying levels of success. But but the, the reason these different things exist is because they there are things that you can do with each one that you can not do with the other ones or that, that you just can't do as well. And mm-hmm. I think that, that what Twitter's niche, like it did something very well that the other platforms didn't do as well or didn't do it, you know, at all. And and I, I feel that that's still a gap in social media. And I'm, I'm sure that something will, will come up to replace it. Uh, whether or not X dies or whether it uh, goes back to what it was, I think I think the genie's out of the bottle on that one. I think it's, you know, we're just counting the days until it blows up. But uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what that becomes and how that affects social media or how that affects pop culture. Like I say, I've, I moved over to the threads and I, I enjoy yeah. it over there. I think it's pretty good. Um, yeah. So I want to talk a little bit about some celebrities who died last year, you know, and especially some that meant something to me personally. So I want to start with one that's a bit obscure. Shecky Green. So he was a stand-up comic. He was big in Vegas. He opened up for like Sinatra and Elvis and all this. And he used to go on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson all the time. He even subbed in as a guest host for Johnny a couple of times. And he did all this TV back in the 70s. But I think most Gen Xers probably remember him best from Mel Brooks' History of the World Part 1. He was Marcus Vindictus. He had the best quotes in that whole movie. So you remember when he was like, do you know the punishment for striking a Roman citizen? Okay, you in the back. You had your hand up first, <laughs> that guy. <laughs> and then when he was like, he's a eunuch. He is a eunuch. He is dead. He is dead. Yeah. <laughs> and then when he says, half of you men will run with me and the rest will run with mucus. I thought he was great. So he died last year. He was 97 years old. Wow. So I really always liked Shecky Green. I thought he was good. Another one I wanted to mention older guy too was Tommy Smothers as you know Derek I tend to get a little political here from time to time and one of the first people ever to use their platform to sort of promote politics and their and their beliefs were the Smothers brothers so if you're not familiar with them they were these two guys that did this stand-up act with like music and jokes and they got their own show the Smothers Brothers Comedy Hour yeah, that's where I remember them for. Oh, man, they would like criticize Nixon and they would criticize the Vietnam War. They used to advocate for like civil rights and for free speech. Well, back in the 60s, you didn't do that. <laughs> like not on network television, at least. So they were like super controversial, but they, they were amazingly influential. Like I, I, we've talked about this before, where some celebrities are more influential than they are famous, yeah. you know? And these guys, they just paved the way for other people to to speak out, you know, and use their platform for good. So Tommy Smothers died just recently. It was like December 26th. Yeah, I was going to say, it was just in yeah. the last week or two. Cancer. Yeah. So I, I feel like he deserves to be mentioned. Um, do you have anybody that stand out to you? I got uh, a bunch. Well, I mean, there's a couple that we've acknowledged already on shows last year, so I won't dwell on it. But Tina Turner died last year. We did. Yes. A, we talked about that when that happened. Um, Paul Rubens, aka Pee Wee Herman, died. Uh, we talked about that. We and we reviewed Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, but uh, one of the more recent ones was uh, just earlier in December. Andre Brower died. Uh, people remember him as Captain Holt from Brooklyn Nine Nine or uh, Pendleton from Homicide. Um, the the 
the series, the the drama series, Homicide. You and you introduced me to him because you were going on and on. I think we did an episode on like supporting actors in TV, and you were like Andre Brower, and I'm like, I, I never watched Brooklyn Nine Nine, so I was like, who's that? So I watched the show. He was fantastic on that show. God, he was good. Yeah, he's he was, was he was great, call. and yeah. and and the fact that he had sort of earned his acting chops as a serious performer. Like he earned an Emmy for his role in Homicide Life on the Street um, and was and was well respected among his peers. And he appeared, you know, he had minor roles in movies. Uh, you know, they tried to give him his own TV show. He did. a. I remember there was a show he did where he was a, a doctor at like a medical school and it only lasted one season. And the criticism was the show's too smart. People aren't able to follow the show. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, that that sounds about right. And then, uh, yeah. And then he ended up in this this comedy ensemble. And you're like, wow, OK, I don't. I don't think of him as a comedic actor, but as we've talked about with comedy, you can't have everybody trying to be the guy telling the jokes. Like you need mm -hmm. a straight man. You need right. someone that the funny guy works off of. And it's like, he paired so well with Andy Samberg like that. You would have never thought this pairing is going to be great on TV for the next seven years. You're like, not a chance, but it's like both of them, I think worked so well. And, and, uh, yeah, no, he was, he was really good. It was unfortunate to hear that, uh, that he had died. He was 61 years old. Mm -hmm. uh, Norman Lear was maybe the single most influential person in television history. You could make that argument. Yeah. So he was a, a producer, obviously. And, like he just developed like a boatload of shows, like all in the family and good times and the Jeffersons and one day at a time. Like the thing was, he basically took sitcoms from being just about a family into being a reflection of society. And, and that was really transformational for television because mm -hmm. he wasn't afraid to tackle all these controversial topics and just sort of push them out there into people's living rooms. And at a time when conservatives kind of ruled the studios and what people got to see, Norman Lear came in and was just a game changer, you know, yeah. and, and just prolific. I mean, he had like, he produced over, either wrote or created or produced over a hundred TV shows. <laughs> like crazy. You know, and like so many of them, like you said, like his top 10 is probably even his like if you were to remove the, the top 10 shows that he was associated with and you looked at his list from 11 to 20, that's probably still better than everybody else that was his peer. Like his his, his reach was just so, so great. And the kind of shows that he put out and was just like nobody was on his level, not even close. Marty Croft, I want to mention, I loved Sid Marty Croft shows when I was a little kid. Back in the 70s, my absolute favorite was Land of the Lost. So when my when my son was little, me and him would watch old episodes of Land of the Lost on DVD. That was one of my favorite TV shows when I was a kid. But but they also did shows like H.R. Puff and Stuff and Sigmund and the Sea Monsters. And there were these two other shows, a little bit lesser known, but I just loved them. One was called Wonder Bug and the other one was Bigfoot and Wild Boy. I don't so I, yeah. It sounds to me like these guys smoked a lot of weed. <laughs> I don't know what they were smoking. <laughs> if I had to guess, based on the shows you just <laughs> talked about, I don't know them all, but the ones I know, I'm guessing there's a lot of marijuana involved. They definitely made some of the trippiest TV shows in history. That's for sure. So uh, Marty Kraft died in November of last year. Sid is still with us. So, uh, And so are their shows, you know, which will live forever in memories, you know, my memories for sure. I want to mention a couple of musicians, if I could. Robbie Robertson is one. Mm -hmm. So he's Canadian. Um, he was a guitarist in the band, the backing band for Ronnie Hawkins and Bob Dylan, along with Levon Helm. 
So, and then they went on obviously to have, you know, big hits of their own, like up on Cripple Creek and stuff. And, and Robbie Robinson was also an actor. He was, he produced, started in a movie called Carney with Gary Busey and my all-time crush, Jodie Foster. Um, they, I remember seeing that movie back on the movie channel back in the day. But I think my favorite thing about Robbie Robertson was back in 1987, he went sort of back to his roots. And so his mother was a First Nations Indigenous woman. So he made this album in 87 called Robbie Robertson. And it was all about his Indigenous roots. And he did songs like Broken Arrow, and somewhere down the crazy river. Remember that? Somewhere down the crazy great. river. And my personal favorite was, was Showdown at Big Sky. It was just, I thought he was a really super talented musician. And he was one of those guys that was just like really respected by his peers. Like maybe more respected by his peers than than by mainstream fans. So, and um, and, and, and speaking of, of, of mainstream fans, another one, Rodriguez died last year. I don't know if you know him or if you heard I don't him. even know him. No. So there was a documentary like I don't know, 15 years ago it was called Searching for Sugar Man. Oh, yes, I've heard of that one. Yes. Man, what a story. So, Rodriguez was this Latino folk singer back in the 60s. Man, was he good. He could have been bigger than Bob Dylan. I mean, he probably should have been. But the thing is, back then, record execs they didn't promote Latino musicians. Right. So they just all got pushed aside, you know, but the thing was, lo and behold, he made these albums and they became massive underground hits in South Africa of all places. So one day this fan in South Africa goes looking for him in America and finds him. He was doing like odd jobs as a construction worker in Detroit and they get him to go back and do this like sold out concert in Johannesburg, South Africa. Like what a story. And it's wow. all in the, the, the documentary searching for Sugarman. It, it's so good. So he died last year. He never got the fame he deserved. He did this song back in the sixties and, and you should go and look it up. It's called I wonder find it on, you know, Apple or wherever you, you know, where you want to go on. If you do Amazon music, or I wonder, just listen to it. That should have been the biggest counterculture song of the 60s. It's that good. Wow. Oh, my God. He was fantastic. Um, who else? Richard Mole. <laughs> remember him? <laughs> oh, uh, from Night Court? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I always remember him from Metal Storm, The Destruction of Jared Sin. Part of that whole 3D craze when I was a kid back in 83. Um, but he was obviously Bull Shannon in Night Court. Uh, Man, he was good. He made that role so memorable. Like he, he had this imposing look. He was tall and bald and kind of scary looking, but he just made it his own. Like he was so lovable and stuff. And the way he delivered his lines, like definitely a memorable guy. So I, I also remember him uh, a little bit later in the nineties. He did um, a lot of voice work on cartoons and, and things like mm. that. And he was the voice of um, Harvey Two-Face in the Batman, the animated series, oh. which is uh, very, very well, uh, you know, claimed and well-respected by, by Batman fans as sort of the definitive cartoon animated version of Batman. So the fact that he was uh, one of the recurring villains on, uh, on many of the episodes gave it, I mean, that was one of the things with that show is it like they had Mark Hamill was the Joker, right? Like they, right. they got celebrities 
that um, had recognizable voices uh, as a way to encourage new people to watch the show uh, to give it some some credibility. And and he did a great job with that. Cindy Williams, I want to mention, she started off obviously on Happy Days as one of Fonzie's girlfriends. And based on her appearance there with Penny Marshall, they got a spinoff, Laverne and Shirley. I watched that show all the time when I was a kid. She was also in American Graffiti. And I remember not that long ago, a good friend of mine who's an actor up here in Canada, he worked with her in a play in Toronto. And he said she was just wonderful to work with. I thought she was really talented. And she was a really good physical actress. Like some of the physical shtick that they would do on Laverne and Shirley. It was pretty over the top. It was good. I liked her a lot. Um, I want to mention, we recently reviewed A Christmas Story at the end of our last season. Melinda Dillon died last year. She played the mom in that movie. And uh, she was in Close Encounters. She got an Oscar nomination for that. Uh, she also got nominated for um, Absence of Malice. And she was in Slapshot, one of the best sports movies ever. She was such an incredibly unique actress, I thought. Just like beautiful, but not like in the traditional Hollywood bombshell way. And just a really talented actress. Kind of quirky and odd, but kind of normal. Just all kind of all wrapped up in one. She was very unique. Any other celebrities? Oh, God, I got so many to go through. Yeah, I mean, I'll just hit a couple here before yeah. we go back to your list. So uh, I will acknowledge Matthew Perry from Friends. Obviously, Absolutely. died uh, at yeah. the end of October. Um Obviously, that's his legacy as friends. No, no question about it. I mean, he did a couple other less memorable sitcoms. He had some 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 parts. Um, he did a handful of movies, but you know, that his his uh, his legacy absolutely is the season. How, how long Friends run? Ten seasons? Like, yeah. that's it. You know, they always you know, in, and I don't mean to be flippant about this, but you always say, oh well, when this performer dies, what what's going to be the first line of their obituary? I, literally, I was just listening to a podcast. They were talking about Ridley Scott because the movie Napoleon just came out, and they were talking about like all of Ridley Scott's movies. And they said, you know, when Ridley Scott dies, what's going to be the first line of his obituary? Is it going to be Ridley Scott? director of alien is going to be Ridley Scott director of gladiator. Like, and so they had this big argument about it. Well, I mean, there's no, there's no arguing it. I mean, and we can look it up if we need to, but friends was always, always going to be the thing with him. Like I mean, his greatest legacy was friends, but he spent a lot of time in recent years trying to help others that suffered from addiction issues. And that's a big part of his legacy too. I think. You know, sure. I, I wasn't aware of that, but I, I'm glad to hear that he did it because I know he had substance abuse problems. I mean, how we saw it on Friends, he went mm-hmm. from super skinny to super heavy to super skinny. Like it was clear that, uh, you know, over the course of that show, he was suffering from a lot of addiction issues. And I mean, it wasn't a secret that it was the biggest show on TV. They couldn't help but report every dirty little secret that was happening in his life at the time. And I'm sure that didn't help his addiction issues. But, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, you, so- you could argue that he was the most talented member of the cat of that cast too. Oof. Like I, I mean. Could. He That's was, a hot take. I mean, uh, out of the six, I don't know if I'd put him at the top. But I would. I, 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 I always thought he did a good job. I thought he was perfect as Chandler. And the thing was, I loved how his character kind of evolved. Like, he started out, he was just making sarcastic remarks all the time. Yeah. But by the time that he fell in love with Joey's girlfriend, Padgett Brewster, and then he hooked up with Monica, like, he became, a, just a, I don't know, a deeper character. And I still think he was the funniest cast member there. Oh, no question. Well, I found that, Again, we're getting a little off topic, but the Chandler Joey relationship of that show that made the show like yeah. honestly, any episode that doesn't have the two of them doing something together, 
I would just fast forward through. Like I, I wasn't a huge fan of the show, even when it was on, I didn't really watch it. Uh, I watched the last couple seasons cause by then I was dating, you know, Kay, who was now my wife. She watched it religiously. Like that was one of her favorites. So we would watch it together. I mean, it's not that I disliked it, but it was never on my radar as a show I had to watch. But in the years after when I went back to watch the reruns, it's like, you know, a lot of the episodes I just couldn't, a lot of the drama, the whole Ross and Rachel thing, like not interested. I just wanted, like, it should have been the Joey and Chandler show. I would have watched it all day long. And funny enough, Matthew Perry might have never got that role if John Cryer's audition tape had hadn't gotten lost in customs. So yeah. John Cryer was over in England doing a play and he he did he taped an audition and put it on a VHS tape and mailed it and it never made it to Hollywood. <laughs> I'm not saying that they, like the, the producers would have picked him. Over Perry, yeah, but, but they probably as a more would recognizable have. name out of the gate. They might yeah. have wanted him just to give the show a little bit of credibility, right, right from the beginning. Because exactly. otherwise, everyone else was pretty much unknown. So yeah, because because yeah, he had done movies at that point too, right? So um, um, let me just hit a couple other. Yeah, quick. who else you got? Bob Barker of The yes. Price is Right. I mean, obviously, in his later years, Bob Barker, there was allegations of sexual abuse and and misconduct on the show, and and I know a lot of that got set. I believe a lot of that got settled out of court. Um, you know, I think it came down to the fact that he was a dirty, horny old man, and he did things he wasn't supposed to. And at the end of the day, he ended up having to pay a lot for it. And I think it it hurt his reputation, and and a little bit hurt his legacy. But I mean, the guy was on TV forever and a day. He did all those episodes of The Price is Right, and the things he did with you know the whole help control your pet population, mm-hmm. like. His his activism with animal rights can't be ignored and the, the good that he's done in that regard. So, you know, not to belittle the things that he did to people that, you know, hey, you know, uh, you know, the women on his staff, that was uh, unfortunate. But, uh, you know, he, he still has a lasting legacy. And and to this day, as a huge Boston Bruins ho- hockey fan, anytime <laughs> I go to a Leafs game and it's against the Boston Bruins, of course, they show the scenes from Happy Gilmore where, uh, you know, Bob Barker and, and Happy are fighting and Happy's wearing his Boston Bruins sweater and Bob Barker kicks the crap out of him. So I think that that's something that the price is people, wrong, bitch. Yeah, I think that's <laughs> so something good. that a lot of younger people who maybe don't have that price is right connection. That's what they remember Bob Barker for. And hey, you know, if that's it, that's it. Um, and then finally, the last so I just on, back to Bob yeah, Barker, because I sure. remember he started out in radio and he found out early on he had a real knack for like kibitzing with just regular people. And the producers picked up on that, too. So they made him the host of Truth or Consequences back in like the early days of TV, black and white TV. Mm-hmm. And then when uh, CBS came up with uh, Price is Right in 72, you know, he obviously, you know, found his place in TV history. I I liked Drew Carey in his old sitcom, but he is crappy as a yeah, game he's show. Not a great, he is not a great. And host. even worse, he's following on the heels of one of the best game show hosts ever, Bob Barker. Yeah. So he was like ninety nine last year when he died. Crazy. Yeah. No, it's. Uh, oh yeah, he was crazy. definitely a, a TV icon. Like yeah. And then so completely out of left field here, mm-hmm. Mad Magazine, Al Jaffe. Who most people, oh, yes. uh, if you're familiar with Mad Magazine, so he was a cartoonist. Uh, the, the thing I read here said he's an award-winning cartoonist, and he's known for doing the fold-ups at the back of the Mad Magazines. and the fold-ins. Uh, yeah, fold-ins, fold in. pardon me, and snappy answers to stupid yes. questions. Those were two of the two of the things that he contributed to Mad Magazine, along with the illustrations. Uh, he was 102, <laughs> and I believe he worked on Mad Magazine just up until like last year or the year before, so... 
you know, Mad Magazine is what it is. Maybe it doesn't have the place in pop culture today with today's audience, but people of a certain age, of a certain generation, you say Mad Magazine, like immediately it, it invokes a whole flood of memories and that magazine wouldn't have been as successful as it was without his contribution. So I just want to acknowledge uh, that Al Jaffe died at 102 years old just this past April. And there was just a huge list of other people, like people like Richard Roundtree, who did Shaft and Suzanne Summers died last year and Gordon Lightfoot. And Sinead O'Connor. Oh, Sinead O'Connor, who, you know, everybody always knows, uh, from um, uh, Nothing Compares to You, but I always liked The Emperor's New Clothes. <laughs> that was yeah, such a too. good song. Harry Belafonte and Burt Bacharach died last year. And Topol, who was in Fiddler on the Roof and Flash Gordon and For Your Eyes Only. And Richard Belzer was another guy. Oh, he was yeah. like, he was kind of like under the, the radar. Another guy know? from Homicide Life on the Street. Oh, yeah. Brown. That's where he did his Cast big thing. But, but back in the six, back in the, the 70s, he was like part of that underground comedy that came up through like mm-hmm. Lemmings and Second City and all that stuff. And Raquel Welch died last year. And Treat Williams, who was like an actor's actor. And, and a Canadian Sue Johansson. She used to do these like uh, sex with Sue things. And, and she was like huge up here in Canada. William Friedkin who was a director of The French Connection and The Exorcist, died. Jerry Springer died. I know you're not a big wrestling guy, but Terry Funk and The Iron Sheik died last year. Right, I remember The Iron Sheik, yeah. And Burt Young, who was Polly in the Rocky movies. And Chinatown and Blood Beach, one of my favorites. There were just so many people, and, and Carlin Glenn, and the list just goes on and on. So, uh, you know, that's, a, that's the look back at 2023. But anything just before we move on, Anything that we can look forward to in 2024? What's, what's coming down the pike? I got to ask you that because I don't know. Well, sorry. Let me just take a step back before we do that. So uh, sure. I just want to circle back to movies for a minute. There was a couple of movies because, uh, again, not to sort of dwell on it too much, but I want to just acknowledge there was a handful of movies that came out that that were that were good for various reasons or that were interested in me. So we'd already mentioned things like you t- you talked about the top five. So one of the ones that was in the top five is the Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, which mm-hmm. we've said could possibly be nominated for some Oscar recognition. I actually had a chance to watch that movie over Christmas, and it was outstanding if you thought the first one was good this one's even better fantastic so uh two huge thumbs up for me on spider-man across the spider-verse if you haven't seen it it'll Um, win best animated picture for sure oh i'd be shocked no question um dungeons and dragons put out a movie uh, yet another movie but this one sort of uh you know pushes all those other crappy ones from previous years aside has a big cast came out in march dungeons and dragons honor among thieves was pretty good had a lot of a lot of wink wink moments for people who are familiar with the game like myself so it was nice to finally see that uh that intellectual property and the 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 creativity around the game get a movie that was worthy of that so that was a big one for me um we mentioned a couple of the marvel movies that came out there was uh, ant-man the wasp quantumania there was guardians of the galaxy volume three and there was the marvels uh i I thought guardians was really good i thought the marvels was really good ant-man was decent but uh you know again a lot of computer animation which doesn't do it for everybody um a surprising one for me was Cocaine Bear, which just <laughs> sounded like it was going to be so dumb. And it was so much fun. I was like, I really enjoyed watching it, almost to the point where I felt a little guilty. Um, another one, I'm not a big fan of horror movies, but I definitely talked about this after I watched it. It's called Leave the World Behind. And the sort of the gimmick of that is it's nobody talks. There's no dialogue in the movie. It's about a woman who's a mute and aliens sort of show up in her town. 
Um, so again, it was it was an interesting one to watch. I really enjoyed it. And then there was Mission Impossible: Dead Reckoning Part One, which honestly I can't remember if that came out at Christmas time last year or if it was early in 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 the in 2023 but if you haven't seen it it was fantastic and then we've already talked about barbie we already talked about mm-hmm. john wick chapter four so there were there were there were some really good movies that came out this past year that if you haven't seen you should take a look at a lot of fun movies and uh, and as we mentioned the oscar winner was everything everywhere all at once which although it came out in 2022 won the oscar in 2023 and let me tell you if you haven't seen that yet you missed out. Go watch it. It's fantastic. And if it you haven't good. seen it since last year, go back and watch it again. I know I've got it on my watch list coming up soon because uh, it, it's one of those movies that when you see it a second time, you're going to like it even more. And is there anything that we got to look forward to in 2024, you think? Oh, I mean, I, I'm sure there's all sorts of great stuff. Um, as we mentioned, with the writer strike, though, I think, I think this is going to be an odd year. I think we're going to see the rise of... Mm smaller more independent projects things that don't need the big studio machine behind them things that don't need 150 million dollars i think you're going to see people taking risks on unknown script writers unknown directors smaller production budgets things that can get written approved shot and and produced and put out into the world in a very short time frame ahead of all these blockbusters that are on delay so i think the last time I remember something like this happening was in the late 90s. You got a lot of in, it was like the rise of independent cinema, but you got things like the Blair Witch Project, which were just unlike anything else that was out at the time. It was shot on a shoestring budget and became a phenomenon. And it was another one, this huge word of mouth. I would not be surprised to see something like that in 2024, where we're going to see smaller things uh, or 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 even big performers and big producers, big writers, big directors, but doing smaller projects because they just want their work to get out there more quickly. And I think we're going to see the rise of a bunch of unknowns who probably aren't really unknown, just have never had a chance to get a break. And I think you're going to see some risks. And I think that they're not all going to work, but I think you're going to see some huge successes this year, a la the Blair Witch Project, these little indie darlings that end up just taking this the summer by storm. So we'll, well see. We'll, we'll listen back a year from now and see yeah. if I was right. Let me tell you, I, I well, you know me. I hope you're right, because I always like original things coming out of Hollywood and smaller type things. So I, I, I hope you, you nailed that one. So we'll have to wait and see. But uh, let's see how it goes. All right. In the meantime, what do you say that we have some fun with Caveman? Derek, we love game shows around here. Oh, so yeah, we do. what better way to kick off season nine than to have you take a seat in the winner's circle of the $100,000 pyramid? Now, you know how this works. I'm going to give you a list of clues. Derek, it's your job to guess the category. You have 60 seconds to get all six categories. If you get to the top of the pyramid under the clock, you get to pick the movie that we're going to review for next week. If if you're unsuccessful, we watch the entire four seasons of WKRP in Cincinnati. (laughs) I'm just kidding. We don't have to do that. Okay. All right. (laughs) Are you ready? I'm as ready as I'm ever going to be. All right. Go. I sit on the bridge of the Enterprise and I tell Spock what to do. Uh, Captain Kirk. Yes. Uh, Netflix, Disney Plus, Amazon Prime. Streaming services. Yes. The Luxor. 
Caesar's Palace, the Sphere, the Strip. Oh, things in Las Vegas. Vegas yes, 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 yes. I should have said Derek on holidays. Drunk off his butt. The Slasher, the Eerie Film Score, Graveyards, Suspense, Mist, Creepy Dolls, Psycho oh, Killers, The Dark. Movie? What's that? Things in a horror movie? Yes, yes. Um, Stranger Things, The Queen's Gambit, The Crown. Uh, shows on Netflix. Yes. Uh, Fox, Jordan, Jackson, Keaton, Buble, Jay uh, Fox. Michaels. Yes. You So you made it to the top in my think maybe record time around here. That was great. Okay, so uh, like I said, you you won, so you get to pick a movie for next time for us to review. I mean, right. last year we we sort of had a an overall overarching theme. Like we last year, if you remember, we were looking at movies celebrating milestone anniversaries. This year we're going to come up with something, I'm sure, and we're going to have lots of topics. But you want to kick us off with a movie? I mean, you usually handle the the newer films, but uh, what do you want to do? Sure. So yeah, like you said, we'll we'll come up with an idea. We, we're mm-hmm. kicking some ideas around, but we don't have anything solid yet. So rather than uh, than go into it half cocked, let's let's just stick with the tried and true formula. I'll I'll come up with something that's new. And one of the the newer movies, and we talked about it quite a bit on this podcast. Uh, I, how about we go and watch the Barbie movie? Have you seen Barbie? No, no, that would be great. So I, yeah, I, I, guess saw I'll watch I saw Barbie in the theater. Mm-hmm. I loved it. Um, I, I, my wife asked for the DVD for Christmas or the Blu-ray. So, so she got that and it's now on the streaming services. So I'm looking forward for an opportunity to rewatch it. And now I've got one. So why don't we watch Barbie? We'll come back next week and talk about it. Cause you know what this world needs? Two old white guys talking about the Barbie. Movie. <laughs> uh, my maybe, wife will be so we'll, glad though. though. Say, maybe I'll see if, uh, if we can get a woman on here to, to give the girls perspective. And, That'd be a great uh, idea uh, why don't I'll, we do I'll that see if, I'll see if my wife's uh, available i mean she's yeah. uh she's a busy woman but uh i'm sure if we invite her and she's free she'll join us but no that promises. would be great uh, and that way, it's not just the two of us saying well you know what i think women should think because no right. one wants to listen to that for 90 minutes so so maybe we'll do that so i'll tell you what so next time we're going to come back we're going to watch barbie between now and then we're going to come back we're going to review the film possibly have a guest with us but until then I'm Chris McBride, that's Derek Myers, and I'm saying thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. Thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World. You can contact Chris and Derek at popgoesyourworld.com. Please take a minute and review the podcast on iTunes or wherever you download and listen to the show. 